It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Thanks, Dave. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Once again, we appreciate you downloading us and giving us a listen as we talk about week eight, eight of the 2015 Division Three football season, the podcast for October 26, 2015. Well, let's see. We were told in Snap Judgments this week that this podcast was going to break down the matchups of ranked teams. I, I thought maybe we would break down the, the tackle totals of Case Western Reserve's inside linebackers, but you know, maybe Ryan's idea is the better one, so we better get cracking. Sound good, Keith? Sounds good. All right. So uh, let's see. With that in mind, it was a pretty good week for finding a test or at least a ranked opponent for some of the top teams in Division Three. Uh, number two, number three, number four, number five, and number eight all played someone else ranked in the top 25, and some of those were actually good games, while some, unsurprisingly, were blowouts. Uh, I'd like to start with one that, uh, to borrow a term we use elsewhere, was surprisingly close, and that's the Wesley-Rowan game. Um, and, and so, Keith, uh, did Wesley not beat Rowan badly enough? Is the fact that it was a one-score game for almost half the fourth quarter a problem for the Wolverines? Or is it the you know the fact that Rowan turned the ball over six times and Wesley turned them into only 21 points the issue? I, I think the final score was 38-25. to 25. Yeah, something like that. There we go, 38-25. Yeah, I think the answer to that question depends on your perspective. Um, for Wesley, this is a good, it's a good win over a ranked team or a team that was ranked at the time of the game. Um, Rowan had been playing pretty well defensively this season, so uh, for Wesley to eventually get up to 38 in that game, uh, speaks well of the offense. Joe Callahan and those guys have been playing uh, well all season. But if you look at it from the the pollsters' perspective, on a week when when Oshkosh uh, beat Platteville 63-28, on a week when St. Thomas beat Bethel real big, when Wheaton chalks up a big victory over North Central, uh, it's certainly hard for Wesley to hang on to its its number four spot on some ballots. When uh, when some of the other wins and some of the other matchups between ranked teams, uh, the wins were, you know the margin of victory was so big. Mary Harden Baylor is another one. Uh, at one big Linfield, one big, and, and and it just depends if is is Wesley trying to keep pace with those teams in the top twenty-five. It, you know, in that case, maybe it wasn't a great win for Wesley. If Wesley's goal is just to win the NJAC, get into the postseason, and let its season be judged that way, then sure, this is a fine win. Yeah, uh, I I think that there are probably maybe three ballots or something like that where possibly uh, Oshkosh might have passed Wesley. Just a, a handful of those, but you know. Um, you know, considering we generally end up the regular season with more than five unbeaten teams, I, I think we have to have some pretty high standards for a team in the top five. Is Wesley living up? I you have to look at who they play. I mean, I, I think that North Central win doesn't look as good after Saturday as it did beforehand, but certainly that's a pretty big non-conference game for them. Again, Rowan, you know, they'll they Salisbury is on the schedule. Um, I, I think I think Wesley's fine. Um, but again, it's it's you're looking at St. Thomas, who's playing um, monster games every week. You, Oshkosh now has beaten Platteville and Whitewater. Uh, you have Mountain Union that's cruising every week, Linfield that's cruising every week, and the crew that's cruising every week uh, in, in Mary Harden Baylor. So yeah, I, I think you know as for their status as a top five team, they may not be hanging on to it, and it's got to be tough, you know, from the Wolverine standpoint to to say, well, look, we we beat a ranked team. Uh, th this weekend, and we we you know we may drop in the polls, or or we didn't look as impressive as some people may thought. But it, as you mentioned, Pat, it's uh, it, it's the 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 bar is set really high 
to be in the top five to remain in the top five because there's there's 247 teams and so that that elite the cream of the crop is really just the best of the best it does seem like a fairly familiar conversation if uh, someone were to do a transcript of uh, what we were saying about Warburg a few weeks ago and then do a keyword search you probably find some things that cross over i for one think that um you know, making a big deal out of a game that's still a, a two-score win over a, a ranked opponent is probably a little bit, uh, a little bit overkill. But again, you know, we're talking about teams that are up there, as uh, Keith mentions, uh, the cream of the crop, and they have to kind of act that way in order to uh, continue and uh, stay in uh, the, you know. Not the good graces necessarily of the pollsters, but you know people who talk about oh you don't get any respect. Um, you know if if we ranked you number eight, that's pretty that's pretty respectable. Um, you know, to, to get into that top five is a uh, is a, a pretty impressive echelon, and uh, teams kind of earn that by the way they play on the field over years. In all honesty, just because we don't have enough regular season games in Division Three, and we definitely do not have enough regular season losses among the top teams. Uh, moving on to our second game, the how about the Little Brass Bell? Uh, we love to talk about the Little Brass Bell on this podcast because it's a cool trophy game, and for the past decade or so, it's also carried CCIW title implications. But for the uninitiated, there's two things you need to know. One, of course, uh, if you're really uninitiated, uh, the teams are Wheaton and North Central, uh, and the bell really is quite little. But the game is big, and it was again this year with 8-ranked Wheaton beating 16th-ranked North Central 17-9. to so North Central isn't out of the conference title hunt yet, but nobody seems to care about that. They all care about why the Cardinals are still in the top 25 at uh, four and three overall. We could talk about that a little bit later, though. This is the first salvo, uh, Keith, in the CCIW's presumptive three-way battle for the title between those two teams in Illinois Wesleyan, and now Wheaton has the early advantage. Yeah, and, and the cool thing about that is we get to see him play back-to-back-to-back. It's uh, Wheaton and Illinois Wesleyan next week, and then and uh, I'm sorry, it's North Central and Illinois Wesleyan next week, and then Wheaton and IWU in two weeks. And so uh, North Central does still have a chance at the playoffs and, and an automatic bid, but it needs to win next week, and it needs uh, that Wheaton Illinois Wesleyan result to break its way. I, I thought the most impressive thing out of that game was uh, was Wheaton's defense. Um, because North Central had been playing so well offensively, they'd put up 41 or more points in every game this season except the 35-28 loss to Platteville. Um, They were averaging more than 40 points a game, and and, and Wheaton snuffed them out defensively pretty much the entire time, took till late in the fourth quarter for North Central to score a touchdown. And uh, I think that was the game that, that... for voters and and for those of us watching from afar looked at for Wheaton to kind of prove that they were um, potentially a special Wheaton team. I think it's, it's nothing abnormal to see the Thunder start off five and O or six and O, especially based on who they play early in the season. Their schedule tends to be backloaded with the best CCIW teams at the end of the season. And this one was, was, was just a really impressive win. I think that uh, when you talk about uh, the defense, that's the one thing that, um, you know, the fact that they've had some injuries along the offensive side and Johnny Peltz isn't uh, around, hasn't been around for the past few weeks. uh, That's one of the things that is obviously a thing that can carry a team into the playoffs, maybe deep into the playoffs, obviously maybe still getting ahead of ourselves a little bit because they haven't played Illinois Wesleyan yet, but uh, you know, Wheaton went uh, uh, Wheaton went out in the second round last year. They faced a really good John Carroll team, um, and if the if things break right this year, they if defensively they could uh, they could get themselves into the quarterfinals. I would think the way they're looking right now. 
Yeah, I think, though, it's all about matchups for them, especially really for any team in the West and the North region. Um, but especially in the North region this year, because Mount Union, again, looks so dominant. Uh, you just how, how long can you avoid them? And and I, I was kind of pondering this over the weekend with the way some of the results broke with uh, with Oshkosh looking so strong now. Um, again, I keep mentioning St. Thomas looking good. And now, now we're at a, at a place where we may not have just four really good teams, but we may have six, seven, potentially eight really standout teams. And so the way the bracket shakes out and now that we're, we're through week eight here, we can can talk a little bit about playoffs. We have three more weeks uh, of, of action before we get there, but we can start to ponder these kind of things. You know, what, who, the, who the four number one seeds would be, where Wheaton would end up in a bracket, and I think if they got somewhere where they didn't have to see a power team for a round or two, or maybe for two or three rounds, uh, you could see them make a pretty deep run. Yeah, man, uh, that uh, that area of the country is loaded and uh, not not any more so necessarily than any other particular year, but uh, still a tough part of the country to be in. And if if, you know, for the again, for those who are new to playoff discussion, I mean, the NCA is not going to bus you more than 500 miles and they're not going to put you in an airplane unless they absolutely have to Southern California. So there's just not a lot of opportunity to get out and play somebody else who's not in your general area. Um, so, you know, once if you're one of those high seeds in that part of the country, once you have eliminated, you know, the you know, the folks such as the Knack champ or the Heartland champ or, you know, those sorts of uh, teams that would naturally be lower seeds, you're going to be facing somebody pretty good in the second round and then really good, presumably in the quarterfinals. Although theoretically, you should face someone really good in the quarterfinals no matter where you are. Let's see. True, another, true. Yeah. Yeah. Another game with playoff implications. Uh, Oshkosh defeating Platteville 63-28. We'll talk about the particulars of the game in a little bit. I, I want to focus on the playoff stuff. So Oshkosh undefeated versus Division Three, definitely in the driver's seat in the WIAC now, just hoping to avoid a late-season stumble versus River Falls or Lacrosse or Eau Claire, headed for a high seed in some bracket somewhere. And, and the most interesting thing about that, of course, was, is um, their their offensive explosion on, on Saturday one. Um, and we'll get to that in a little bit because we have that slated for further down the, the podcast. But also what this does, again, continuing on the discussion that we were having just a moment ago, I think this throws another power team into the mix. You look at, at Oshkosh, they've already beaten Whitewater. Now they really, really uh, beat up on Platteville. Platteville now in, in trouble um, for for a potential postseason bid. Oshkosh in a great spot because that uh, that – Season opening loss to Robert Morris of Chicago, 23-21 game. Kind of throw it out the window when it comes to to playoff discussion, I guess yeah. technically secondary criteria, but it, it, I don't think it will affect um, their standing at all. And anyway, they're in they're in the driver's seat in a pool eight for a, for a pool A automatic bid anyway. So um, yeah, definitely in definitely in line for an automatic bid. I think though, when you're looking at a, a West region or a group of teams in the West that are going to be have multiple undefeated teams, such as St. Thomas and Linfield, I think that's a the fact that they have a a secondary criteria loss and out of Division three loss is a tiebreaker that's going to knock them down in the seedings a little bit. Maybe it will, but but what we've seen in D three in the past five or so years is that the playoff brackets aren't necessarily locked in to these rigid definitions of east, west, north, and south like they had been even years prior when they weren't supposed to be in name um, regional brackets, but they were 
for all intents and purposes. And now we've seen uh, the, the brackets mix up a little bit. And so you could get a situation, depending on who's within 500 miles of, of Oshkosh and, and some of the other schools in that that um, Midwestern area, you could get some interesting matchups. You could find Oshkosh hosting um, throughout the playoffs or late into the playoffs. You could find them traveling out to Linfield or, uh, you know, we may have to deal with with multiple island teams this year um, with Linfield and Mary Harden Baylor looking like they're on the way to 10 and 0, although although UMHB still has uh, Harden Simmons next week. Um, you know, the, the playoff brackets could get interesting based on 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 how they're formulated, because you have so many West region teams that are that are powerful. You, you, it's, it's possible that. Oshkosh could sweep the WIAC and not be the number one seed in in one of the brackets. So we've reconnected with Keith via Skype. Hopefully we'll have a a slightly better connection here for this next segment of the broadcast. But, Keith, I want to talk about uh, what we're talking about in terms of playoff seedings. As we were talking there, I was just jotting down some of the the teams that would be in contention for number one seeds. Some of these uh, are based on geography or at least – Wesley being a, uh, a potential number one seed, which is now an actual East Region team, uh, I think helps things out, and they have a chance to, if they continue to run the table. Obviously, all of these are contingent on teams running the table. So Wesley, uh, Mount Union, obviously. Uh, you already mentioned Mary Harden-Baylor. That obviously makes a lot of sense. Linfield, uh, St. Thomas, and then if we throw Oshkosh in there, that's a sixth team. Um, you know, what, about, what about Wheaton if they go 10-0? Uh, I mean, I so here's some of the things. One of the things that the committee looks at is when you have multiple undefeated teams that are uh, that are that are pretty equal, that are essentially tied. One of the things they look at as a tiebreaker was last year's playoff performance. So based on that, uh, Linfield would be uh, would be seated ahead of St. Thomas uh, because Linfield made it to the uh, national semifinals last year, and St. Thomas got bounced earlier than that, obviously. Um, you know, Oshkosh didn't make the playoffs at all. Wheaton uh, was out in the second round. It kind of depends on which grouping they get matched up in, but they don't fare well against Linfield. They don't fare well against Mount Union in that regard. they uh pretty even with Mary Harden-Baylor, although I can't imagine a bracket that would have Mary Harden-Baylor and Wheaton in it. Um, I think they're pretty even with St. Thomas. That would be pretty interesting. Um, and they are within 500 miles of each other, which is the NCAA's magic number. So... Um, I don't know. It's int- I had not uh, put Wheaton on that list, and I guess I don't know. They would be maybe ahead of Oshkosh because of that out-of-region loss, but, you know, who knows? Uh, some of the other things that will come into a- account is whether Platteville is still in the regional rankings when they finally, uh, when it comes to Selection Sunday, because if Oshkosh has that win against them, then they're a- that's a win against a regionally ranked opponent, which is important, and all sorts of... Uh, larger scale perceptions but um that's so though now we ha- now we're up to seven teams that we jotted down for four spots that's kind of what we're looking at right now picture wise yeah this kind of feels like one of the old style podcasts where we used to get off on on a uh, pretty pretty deep into the weeds with the tangents um but for people who like to get deep in the weeds we uh we we love it and for folks who are scoring at home this is october 26th and that's first mention of regionally ranked opponents <laughs> yeah. we're, gonna, we're gonna have to school school everybody on uh all the playoff criteria pretty soon oh yeah yeah exactly um it is but there's only three weeks left i mean we're coming up on week nine for goodness sake so uh 
We're um, yeah, we we got to talk about playoffs. Uh, games four and five from Saturday uh, between ranked teams. I'm just going to lump these together, kind of for the sake of time. But I think they're also pretty similar as well. Uh, that's uh, second ranked Linfield rolling past number 25 Whitworth and uh, Mary Harden Baylor number three doing the same to Texas Lutheran. Yeah, so impressed by UMHB being able to win big, by the way, with just 230 yards of offense. They uh, they won that game 48-20, um, scored twice in every quarter except the first quarter, and uh, and didn't do it all on offense. They were they scored twice on special teams, had a block punt that set up another score. So they, they look like the, the most well-rounded uh, crew team we've seen in a long time because not only are they good on defense and special teams, but it uh, looks like they have a, a pretty nice passing game behind Zach Anderson this year. Yeah, not a lot of total offense, but then again, they only had the ball for 21 minutes and 55 seconds. But here's the thing that bothers me, that uh, t- tailing, tailing back into what you just said, Keith. Uh, I've heard so many people over the course of the last few weeks, especially over the course of the last 48 hours, say, oh, well, they scored three touchdowns on special teams as if those don't count. I'm pretty sure that a special teams touchdown counts for six points as well. Well, what also counts is when your drives are three plays. They had a 10-play scoring drive, but then they had a two-play drive, a one-play drive. Uh, you can't even, can you even call that a drive? Another two-play drive. So they were scoring quickly against Texas Lutheran, which is a pretty good uh, team defensively. So um, they're, they're explosive this year, and I, boy, you know, a copy editor, I hate to use that word because what does explosive really <laughs> even mean? But, nice. um, but I mean, they score quickly th- this this season, and um, a lot of a lot of previous Mary Harden Baylor teams were happy to play defense and, and pound the ball, run it, run it, run it, and uh, this one seems like maybe uh, it can score from any place on the field, and, and that's certainly a, a different look for them. Linfield and Whitworth. Uh, Whitworth is one of those teams that, um, you know, if they end up with one loss, that's somebody that's going to be a very difficult conversation on Selection Sunday for the uh, for the committee. And and I was another thing I was doing this week was just kind of totaling up all the places. Oh well, yeah, the MIAC runner-up, for example. Yeah, they'll definitely get a bid. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Whitewater as the WIAC runner-up, if they have one loss, they'll definitely get in. Um, but you know, with only six at-large bids, there's not a lot of definitelys. No, and it always looks like that that this at this point you feel like there's way too many potential pool C teams than there are spots. And some years those all narrow themselves down and they're and they're actually more, you know, the one loss teams are, it might even be a chance for a two loss team to get in. And then some years it, it ends up with, you know, nine teams for six spots. So so um, we do have to see how these these last three weeks shake out because there are so, some, you know, some weeks everything goes haywire in week 10 or week 11. And you have a bunch of surprise losses and suddenly teams are in the picture that you didn't have in the picture or aren't in the picture that you thought would be in there. So uh, this is when it gets fun. I mean, this, this is by far the most exciting time uh, of the D3 season, the last few weeks of the regular season and the first few of the playoffs. All right, I can't promise that we won't talk more about playoffs and speculation and all that stuff throughout the rest of the podcast, but uh, let's move on to game balls. And mine will go to Kendall Roberson for rushing for 420 yards and three quarters for East Texas Baptist, but also uh, Josh Ergel, the head coach, for doing the right thing and holding him out of the fourth quarter in a game where they were up pretty big on their uh, on their way to a huge win against Bellhaven. You know, a, a record set when you're up by five touchdowns in the fourth quarter wouldn't be something I would uh, necessarily choose to celebrate. 
Roberson had more yards through three quarters than the uh, current record holder had when uh, the third quarter ended in their game. So he could have easily gotten that mark if uh, ETBU wanted to run up the score or risk Roberson getting hurt in the mud. Uh, regardless, here's Roberson's take on his performance after the game on ETBU Sportsnet. It was great. Um, you know, honestly, we can talk as we always talk. You know, the, I mean, these guys are sending blitzes. That you know, they're doing their job, but the offensive linemen and the receivers do a great job of helping me pass. You know, the line of scrimmage. Um, I can think of two plays: Ledet did his job on the edge, and then X-Gray did his job on the – I mean, I'm tired, man. I'm gassed, and these guys are, are, are just selling out at the end. You know, and the offensive line continuously, continuously get better every week. So, I mean, my praise goes, you know, to uh, those guys, man. They do their job, you know, and it helps me um, look better. You know, I get to do the interviews. But, I mean, I love those guys, man. They're just helping me become a better player. So, uh, all hats out to those guys. And, Pat, you mentioned the the, the chance that Roberson – likely would have had to uh to break the 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 d3 and actually the all divisions rushing record octavius mccoy uh back when he rushed for 455 yards in a game in 200 200 and 2013 um he did it in a 55 35 win for western connecticut state and then a couple weeks later uh heidelberg's cartel brooks broke the record with a 13 yard touchdown run with 426 left in a 42 14 game so as you mentioned pat if uh if if uh the tigers had wanted to, to run up the score and risk getting uh their their outstanding player hurt because they really wanted him to get the record they may have had a chance to do that but i think 400 20 yards are some pretty nice laurels to rest on. Game balls, for me, a tough choice. Wheaton's defense, uh, the Oshkosh offense, or the Mary Harden Baylor special teams. Which to choose? Um, I chose, hmm, the Thunder. That defense held North Central. As we had mentioned, they, they scored 41 or more points in five of six games. They were averaging well over 40 points, held them to just nine points. The crew scored twice on kickoff returns and blocked the punt to set up a score on a rainy day in Texas. But by far, for me, the most eye-opening performance and the one that gets the game ball is uh, Wisconsin Oshkosh. After a 10-7 win against UW-Whitewater, who'd beaten UW-Platteville 17-7, the offensive explosion was one I just didn't see coming. Brett Casper threw for four touchdowns and nearly 400 yards in his return at quarterback. Running back Dylan Hecker tossed a touchdown pass, and four players had catches of 46 yards or longer in the Titans' huge day. Most importantly, Oshkosh served notice that it might be more than just the regular old faces sitting down when the musical chairs stopped this season in D3. Yeah, you know, apparently uh, the achievement that Hecker had, throwing a TD, running for a TD, and catching a TD pass is pretty rare. Uh, one of the uh, sports information directors from, uh, I think, an NAIA school was asking, when was the last time this happened in an online conversation? Because one of his players did it, but, you know, dude, D3 had one the exact same day. We have 100-plus games in, a, in any given day in Division Three. Everything happens. Let's just put it that way. If you want to find something fancy that happened in a football game, I can almost guarantee you that it also happened in a D3 game. That's a fair point. It really is. Let's see. Uh, my team on the rise. I think this is a good time to talk about Case Western Reserve and not its inside linebackers tackle numbers, but its poll resume. Um, Case slides into the poll at number 23 this week, part of a tight pack of teams between 23 and uh, the second team, among others, receiving votes, or between 23 and essentially 27. Case has been kind of tooling along after its week one loss to the University of Chicago, but hadn't beaten a team with a winning record before edging W&J on Saturday night, 35-28. 
Spartans might not be around in the top 25 for long either. They have watched you come to town next week, and all the Bears did, Keith, was drop 70 points on Millsaps this past week. So uh, Wash U's uh, quietly sitting at 5-2. and two. That'll be a good challenge for your first game as a uh, ranked team in a while. Yeah, and I think there are a lot of teams that, that have begun to snuck, snuck, sneak, sneaked up on us in the uh at the back end of the you know not traditional top 25 teams but suddenly they have five or six wins and um those are teams that that because of the way things shook out this week's poll those are the teams we started to i had to start to look at when i got down into the 20s because so many of those traditional team teams um weren't just automatically in the poll for me um as far as risers i had oshkosh and wheaton both climbing a couple of spots inside my top 10 which bumped down some very good teams that won but not as impressively we uh, hinted at that at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, then there's a spot in the low teens, right around Illinois, Wesleyan, Salisbury, Cortland State, where it became difficult to find teams I felt strongly about. I voted for St. Lawrence for the first time this year after the Saints won their sixth in a row. The Saints probably would be a middle-of-the-road Empire team, judging by that seasoning, season opening 28-20 loss to Morrisville State. But in a sea of teams with five or six wins and one loss, one could make a case for Wartburg or Whitworth, just the same as St. Lawrence. I made my case for the Saints, and we'll see how they close with a game against Hobart looming in a couple weeks. Let's see. Uh, going the other direction, team that'll take a fall. Actually, uh, talk about Whitewater for a second. Uh, I know we're going to talk about Whitewater on the Around the Nation podcast. Uh, but the Warhawks dropped a spot this week, and they were very close to falling one more. Is they're just two points ahead of Wheaton in the uh, in the rankings. Whitewater looked like it had stuff pretty well under control at Stevens Point, leading 28-7 in the second quarter and 28-10 at the half. But the Pointers rallied, and they were within eight points of Whitewater for most of the fourth quarter. Warhawks had a fumble, two three and outs, two four play drives in the second half. Uh, we won't really know until the playoffs how good the Warhawks are uh, now because they finished with Eau Claire, River Falls, and Stout, uh, unless, of course, they lay an egg at River Falls for the second year in a row. And this year's team might not uh, have the ability to recover the way last year's team did if that happens. Well, yeah, we certainly don't expect them, as things stand now, to repeat as national champions. But there, there have been plenty of years where Whitewater's looked just pretty good going into the postseason, and then they they really turn it on in the postseason. So so yeah, that they'll they'll bear some watching, assuming of course they make it there. Yeah, you uh, know, Keith, honestly, they could find themselves here in these next three weeks. Those are those are games where you know, although every game in the in the Wyack is pretty tough, you have an opportunity against some of those opponents to experiment with some things and put some kids in real life situations that uh, might help them in week twelve and thirteen. And remember, so much new on that team this year, not just at key positions on the field. They lost you know, key playmakers like Brady Gravold in the secondary and Jay Kumaro, wide receiver. Um, but they also have a brand-new coaching staff. Not not 100% new because Kevin Bullis was part of the staff last year, but if he moves up to head coach, that means someone has to take his old job and he had to hire mostly a new staff. Um, so a, a lot of uh, you know opportunity for, for Whitewater to have some games where they uh, where they grind it out at the end, I think is good for them, and and that may pay off for them down the line. As far as a team for me that'll take a fall in the poll, well, we've mentioned them quite a bit. North Central they picked up that third loss, seventeen to nine, against uh, CCIW rival Wheaton, and now they're really kicking themselves for not finishing off Wisconsin Platteville or Wesley when they had three touchdown leads on both of those teams earlier in the season. Although they'll drop off some top 25 ballots, they remain on mine because they were highly competitive with three teams that remain in the top 15. It was Wesley, Platteville, and uh, 
Wheaton, of course. Uh, and, and the Cardinals, of course, they no longer have a shot with the uh, at the at-large bid in Jeff Thorne's first season taking over for his father. They play Illinois Wesleyan next weekend. Uh, IWU plays Wheaton the following week. So the prospect of the three-way tie broken by point differential in the games against one another, that's still on the table. And so is an automatic bid. And just so people understand, I mean, every every conference is responsible for its own tiebreakers. There's no great three-way tiebreaker scenario. All of them have their flaws. Uh, in football, when you only play each other once, uh, sometimes it goes to a tiebreaker. And, you know, as the situations come up, uh, we'll try to track down what each individual conference uh, that is affected uh, does in order to break those uh, triangle three-way ties. Um, let's see, off, going off the beaten path for a minute for this highlight, uh, and I'm talking about Laverne beating Redlands. Uh, Leopards beat the Bulldogs late Saturday night for their first win in the series since 1995. Laverne scored 21 points in the fourth quarter to win 49-42, and, and my favorite part of this game is all uh, tied up in that. With a minute 41 left in a tie game, Laverne is uh, fourth and two at the Redlands six-yard line and decides to bypass the 23-yard field goal attempt, instead going for it to run down the clock and give Redlands less time to come back. So uh, Travis Sparks-Jackson, who's a guy who's been on our D3Football.com team of the week this season, Got four yards for the first down in that fourth down play and then two more for the touchdown in the next play and left just 57 seconds for Redlands to work with. Uh, also, a shout-out to a very similar game, also in the Skyac, also late at night, so you guys might not have uh, caught it, but uh, Claremont scores twice in the final 30 seconds, uh, three times if you count a safety on a bad lateral on the kickoff return, uh, and they rally to defeat Occidental 45-42. to Yeah, Pat, that Claremont finish sounded crazy. Uh, I have a couple of off off the beaten path highlights. Uh, Ohio Wesleyan scored on defense and special teams to hand DePaul its first loss. So just when we start buying into the the Tigers, um, they uh, they 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 guess blow a big opportunity against uh, Ohio Wesleyan. Who won that game 27-22. Uh, the Trine sound like they had a crazy crazy comeback against uh, against Albion, a team that now um, you know that changes that whole the the complexion of that whole uh that whole conference race in Michigan because uh because we thought Albion might be a, might be uh in control there uh and, and I thought that happened in a lot of places on Saturday and I obviously you can't mention 10 games for your off the beaten path highlight but uh conferences that we thought uh might clear up a little bit a couple of them did I think the Centennials maybe the only one I can think of off top that that got a, a uh, narrowed down who we think is is in the lead, but I thought uh, Michigan, the MAC, the ODAC still crazy, the Empire Eight still crazy. There are the the Liberty League is, is in there now. Uh, Iowa. There's so many conferences where there's just no clear leader, and uh, that'll make these last three weeks of the season uh, pretty fun. The Iowa conference where Loris and Dubuque will be playing for more than uh, intra-city pride. They'll be playing for a a, a chance to share. At the uh, at the conference lead, which is would have been unthinkable uh, three weeks ago, <laughs> let alone before that. Um, moving on to surprising result, can I call it a surprise when the Empire Eight leader wins a game? No, maybe. Yeah. All right. Fine. I'm gonna go with uh, another uh, long drought ending. This one is uh, Tufts which ended a long losing streak at Williams in Williamstown, Mass. This streak is so old, there are two ties in it. Jumbos hadn't won in Williamstown since 1981, and, and Tufts right now 4-1 with three games to go. Uh, last time the Jumbos won five games was in 2007, and remember the NESCAC teams play just eight games, and the last time they won six games was in 2001. 
yeah, that um, it's good to see Tufts uh, coming up. It's uh, things don't change very often in the NESCAC. It's pretty much the same few teams at the top, but Tufts uh, after having that long losing streak there on the way up. Williams on the way down. Uh, my most surprising result is uh, is not necessarily a surprise in terms of the two teams that are um, that were matched up, RPI and Hobart. There, there have been years when when RPI has been good enough to uh, to challenge the Statesmen to to challenge for the Liberty League title. So them winning is not not that much of a surprise. But handing Hobart its third loss in a season, and uh, and again as we mentioned, Hobart still has St. Lawrence to play. This season, uh, that's that's pretty shocking, and so uh, it was also a pretty surprising finish in that one in uh, in Geneva. Hobart scored with uh, with no time left on a um, Zach Withers twenty one yard touchdown pass from Shane Sweeney. They had a two point conversion pass to uh, to try to win it, and uh, that pass was intercepted, and so RPI hung on for the twenty one twenty victory. They are six and two in the conference, four and one, so they're still. Uh, one game behind uh, St. Lawrence, although they've already lost to the Saints, so uh, so they need a little bit of help. The um, the Hobart at the beginning of the season, uh, they were the team that dropped the most from last year's final poll to this year's preseason poll. They went from nine to sixteen, um, and clearly we maybe even underestimated the uh, amount of losses that, not the losses on the scoreboard, but losses to graduation is what I'm uh, what I'm trying to get at there. Yeah, I mean, they, they obviously there was a player on Sunday that was playing in the NFL, starting a rookie from Hobart uh, on the offensive line for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They lost to one of the D3 all-time sack leaders and another All-American on the offensive line. So they had some some big losses, uh, you know, just beyond what, what every team sort of goes through with that year-to-year churn where you lose 8 to 10 to 12 or sometimes more seniors than that. Let's go with the uh, stat of the week. Uh, mine I had to dig through some record books for because this week Pacific Lutheran picked up its first win of the season, defeating George Fox 28-27. So this is the Lutes' sixth game of the season, meaning it's the latest PLU has picked up its first win of the season since 1968. Uh, in that season, the Lutes started 0-3-2 before beating British Columbia 40 to nothing in Game 6. Maybe you think that's too many asterisks. After all, they had two ties, win came against a Canadian school, etc. So if you think that shouldn't count, uh, then you have to go back even further to 1958 when PLU lost its first seven games, plus a, an exhibition against a club team before beating Whitworth in its final game to uh, finish 1-7. and seven. But uh, the reason I point this out, Keith, is this is because this is a particularly ignominious streak for the program that produced the 1999 national champion. Do we have an applause soundtrack? Uh, because if we do, would you add that in later? Just I'm applauding your um, oh, hey, natural soundtrack. I'm applauding your research for that that yeah. stat of the week. That oh, was good. pretty impressive. Good, because the producer has the night off. I'd have to do that myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, here's a stat of the week, and it's near and dear to my heart. Jimmy Lauer intercepted three passes as Stevenson defeated Widener 31-20 to move into a three-way tie for first place in the MAC. The Mustangs picked off Alex Krivda five times and also held Widener to zero yards rushing, which is kind of a stat of the week on its own right. Uh, Delaware Valley also defeated Albright to force the roadblock at the top of the conference. And uh, Lauer, he's now 
one of 12 players who've had three interception games this season. But Obi Atuka of Western New England remains the only one to join me and several other really fortunate defensive players in the four interception club this season. Atuka did it back in September against Westfield State. Um, four is not the record, but that is a, a pretty exclusive club. I don't know how many have done that. I wanted to pull out, however, the name of the kid for Rippon who was on that list twice, if I remember correctly, right? Uh, Bradley Knobloch, who uh, had uh, three, two three interception games this year. So kudos to that guy. I don't know if he had any interceptions on Saturday. Now I'm going to kill some time while I go to see if he had any interceptions on Saturday because, because you know, this is what we do. And the producer has the night off, so we're not going to go back and edit this part. Um, but, uh, no, he did not. So, yeah. All right, we're at the uh, spot in the podcast where we uh, pat ourselves on the back or smack ourselves upside the head for our predictions from Triple Take. That's our uh, three-headed prediction uh, monster from Friday mornings where uh, Keith and I, along with Ryan Tips, who writes the Around the Nation column, all predict what might happen or what could happen in Saturday's games. So let's try to run through some of these uh, bests and worsts. Obviously, uh, all three of us picked important games in the game of the week, but only one of them was really worth the worth the moniker, and that's uh, Keith's pick of the Wheaton North Central game. I, I think we've uh, I think we've talked about that game a little bit, so maybe we uh, we won't continue to talk about that. Uh, but I'll tell you, Ryan Tips was on fire this week. He also mentioned uh, Chapman and Case ahead of their big wins. He picked Delval to upset number twenty Albright, and uh, um, you know. Let's see, Keith, who did you have as the most likely to be? Oh, St. Thomas, man. I read that, and I'm like, thank God I'm not going to St. Thomas this week because I get nothing but uh, unmerciful grief whenever you pick against them, and I don't think you're very successful, and I finally gave up. I tried to, I several times, I think, St. Thomas against Concordia Moorhead, I tried to pick that being a possible upset or closer than expected, and it never panned out, so... Um, in, you know. in all honesty, if you read that pick, I hedged against it quite a bit. I was, was mostly basing it off the history between Bethel and St. Thomas. And I was also trying to avoid the, the 10 top 25 teams that were playing each other, yeah. none of which either seemed very likely, like Whitworth beating Linfield, or seemed like it would be really an upset, say like if North Central had beaten Wheaton. So I felt like those 10 were off the board, and uh, you know you had to kind of swing for the fences there and uh, I'm okay with being wrong some of some of those we've been doing triple take for what 10 years now um Ooh. seven seven yeah. picks a week 11 11 16 weeks a year you know we're gonna we're gonna miss some we've um, had a, I thought we've had a pretty good year actually yeah and and to be honest you had a pretty good uh a good pick as well in there that that we haven't given you credit for yet although you pulled a me I guess yeah. we'll refer to that because you picked TCNJ to keep it surprisingly close with Montclair State and the Lions actually won yeah yeah that's true uh, the bottom of the end jack was a little weird this week too how about that uh William Patterson Southern Virginia game did you get a did you get a glimpse at that Southern Virginia was competitive uh, scored points, which you know is kind of unusual for uh, the Knights. They're the Knights, aren't they? That's yes. A, <laughs> yikes! This is how often we talk about Southern Virginia. This is in their uh, fourth year, I think, in Division Three, maybe their third. Um, I wasn't even entirely sure what their uh, what their mascot is. Well, they've had some big numbers rolled up against them this season. But if you ask me about the what you would think is the bottom half of the end, Jack, what the biggest surprise is, it's that Frostburg State isn't in that that bottom group. 
um, you yeah. know, they're one of the surprising six in one teams, and hopefully that's a nice smooth segue into the lightning round. I am so good at lightning rounds. Yeah, there are a bunch of surprising one loss teams, uh, six in one teams. You mentioned Frostburg. You could talk about surprising at the other end for uh, Christopher Newport, by the way. Uh, but Moravian, uh, DePauw picked up its first loss. We've talked about Case. Uh, Barry had a bye this week, but we've talked about them in the past. Uh, Trinity, Texas. Um, and then, you know, a couple of uh, – oh, and, and, and Albion. Uh, ETBU is playing pretty well. Uh, you know, these teams have kind of played a various amount of not a lot of great competition so far, but it's still good to see some different names on a list like this through eight weeks of the season. Yeah, and speaking of Albion, we kind of glazed over it earlier. How about the way that game ended on Saturday? Trine scored three touchdowns in the final five minutes of the game to rally and win 55-51. A couple of key successful onside kicks in big games this weekend, and and this game had one of them. Uh, St. Norbert's still running along, rolling along undefeated at 7-0. We're not really talking about them or the Midwest Conference much. Uh, My theory, and and I, I actually... This got put in my head by uh, someone in the Midwest Conference is that even though the conference has had a couple of quality playoff performances, uh, some of those are admittedly a, a while back now, uh, the fact that McAllister came in and won that league last year showed more about the quality of the league than uh, anything that they've done on the field in the past. So to me, uh, 7-0 and in doesn't uh, hold as much uh, water even in the MWC as it used to. How about uh, Washington Lee getting ranked uh, for the first time? It's hard to believe, um, but I guess that year that they made the playoffs and I think they went up to Hobart and lost in the first round, uh, they, they weren't ranked that season. And so now they are in the top 25. And uh, that, that, that offensive juggernaut, that ground game just keeps on rolling along. It's, it's uh, kind of looks like a flex bone when you look at it. It kind of has feels like element of the wing tee. Um, but it's 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 sort of newfangled for uh, for uh, 2015, and then they're pretty good on defense this season. And as we know, the ODAC every week is is a grind. Uh, nothing is is certain, but uh, WNL certainly looks uh, um, pretty good. Yeah, I uh, I know they were ranked in Don Hansen. Does that help? Uh, I I remember one year uh, they came in. I think like four weeks of the season might have been 2000 or so. Uh, they came in touting oh they were ranked were ranked by Don Hansen and then they just got completely blown off the field that week um although you know god bless Don Hansen uh rest in peace sir um something else that could have been in the re- surprising result category that we talked about earlier was the Curry Coast Guard game surprisingly won by Curry 42 to 14 uh, and that's, I think, pretty much because Derek Victory, who's Coast Guard standout quarterback, played just the first series. But, you know, Keith, when I saw that result, I had to go and check to make sure that nobody had accidentally gone in and uploaded a box score from 2008 or something. Well, it would have made a lot more sense as a 2008 score because Curry was pretty good then. I'm looking ahead to week nine and some of the big games coming up. Uh, we have a, a bunch of ones, obviously. A lot of ones with playoff implications. We're not going to do any more of the speculating, though. We're, we're done with that part of the podcast. Um, but we are we are looking ahead to stuff that's coming up. Mary Harden-Baylor, the number three crew heading to 12th-ranked Harden-Simmons. Um, anyway, Harden-Simmons and then also uh, Concordia-Moorhead, which is floated up to number 14. They host uh, number six, St. Thomas. Those are two teams, Harden-Simmons and Concordia-Moorhead, that not only have a lot of syllables and hyphens, but they've also really slid and floated up in our poll. Yeah, and, and part of it is because of uh, other teams losing and, and 
those teams not losing. Concordia Moorhead's loss is early in the season to St. John's. Um, but the other thing is they they play in strong conferences, and as teams in those conference rise, I think the reputation of of their opponents some, tends to rise as well. I think the same thing is happening a little bit to Illinois Wesleyan, which is 7-0, and but you mentioned, say, St. Norbert being 7-0, and and they don't get quite the same respect from our voters. But I think that's also the right way to play it because uh, even a, you know, a good, solid team, you know, middle-of-the-road team in a really good conference is usually as good as the top teams in some of the less less good conferences. We've mentioned a couple times that North Central will be at Illinois Wesleyan this week. Those rankings, nineteen uh, number 19 North Central and number 15 Illinois Wesleyan, almost a mirror image from where they were uh, coming into last week. Uh, let's see, Ohio Wesleyan, they just knocked off DePauw. They have a chance to go uh, try to do the same at number 9 Wabash, and if nothing else, we get a good opportunity to see in back-to-back weeks uh, Ohio Wesleyan versus both of the Modon Bell game participants. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be tough to score on that that Wabash defense. They've been they've been pretty solid all season. Cortland got back into the uh, rankings this week. They uh, traveled to Morrisville State. That should be well, it's an Empire Eight matchup. I don't think I have to say anything else about that. WNL, welcome to the top twenty-five. You go to Emory and Henry, which is uh, one of the uh, other top teams and contenders in the Old Dominion Athletic Conference. And Texas Lutheran held back. Uh, not, wasn't held back. That's a different thing altogether. They uh, they remained in the poll. They held on to their spot in the poll, and they uh, traveled to Trinity, Texas this week. Yeah, not the biggest game in uh, in Texas in Week Nine. That's the one in Abilene between the hyphenated Hardin schools. I'm sure nobody ever calls them that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but but Texas Lutheran and Trinity, uh, both teams hanging around as you mentioned, top 25 and in, in the fringe of the top 25, and also. Right, pretty far on the outside of of the playoff picture with a couple of losses, at least for uh, for Texas Lutheran. A couple of other games uh, outside the top 25, but still with some implications. We mentioned Wash U is at Case. Art also mentioned the uh, Loris game at Dubuque. Uh, Gustavus Adolphus at Bethel. Um, I would like Gustavus in this matchup, but uh, uh, Bethel seems susceptible to the run. Gustavus passes really well. Uh, Gusta- uh, Bethel has had pretty good pass defense. Oh, I know the other reason why I wanted to mention this. Uh, Keith Bethel passed for one yard on Saturday. Um, yeah, they had no yards in the first half. Um, they and there was a that was a big to do on the uh, on uh, at halftime. But then they only had one in the second half either. It was to uh, that to me kind of. I don't even know what to say about that in all honesty. It's one of the the great things I think about D three. Uh, in a lot of ways, there's so much variety with the 247 teams and style, style of offense that you see things, as you mentioned earlier, that that you don't that that you rarely see. If it's happened somewhere, it happens in D3. And I think also, you know, Bethel's success over the over the years um, still enables it just because you just because you um, just because most offenses are spread out now and, and doing a lot of different things offensively doesn't mean you can't still have success uh, while throwing for one yard, although they didn't have any success against that St. Thomas defense on Saturday. Also weird this week, uh, Rowan scored twice on safeties, although not the first time that that's happened this season even. Um, even the weird things happen possibly more than once in a particular season. Let's yeah. see. Oh, Ro- Rowan's had a lot of fun with two points as well. Not all, not all safety. Sometimes just uh, they had an odd two-point conversion earlier in the year. Yeah, that is true. Uh, 
let's see, Matt game to watch, Lebanon Valley at Delaware Valley. Uh, Delaware Valley now, I guess, back in the driver's seat in the Mac. And, you know, we haven't really talked about them much on this podcast, Keith, uh, after the loss to Wilkes, but, uh, you know, they turned over that entire offense. I think they had one starter back on offense this year, and that guy got hurt. So an entirely new 11. Well, uh, Ryan Tips, if you read Snap Judgments and Around the Nation, he he has mentioned DelVal a few times, and I guess in Triple Take as well. Um, so I guess if, if you're partaking in all that D3Football.com has to offer, uh, you do you do get a little bit of the 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 DelVal thing. I'm just kind of hesitant that Wilkes loss really, um, you know, maybe it's just one one fluky bad day for them. Um, and we'll, we'll see how the Mac finishes out in a couple weeks here. St- still a bunch of teams in it. Yeah, definitely. That We were bordering on drifting into speculation there, so thanks for uh, pulling us back from the edge. The other game for uh, next week that I wanted to spotlight was uh, Endicott at Western New England. That's a uh, a team that uh, you know Western New England is undefeated as well. Uh, they've been playing pretty well against, and they played some decent opponents, although typically you would put Union College on a list of decent opponents, and they have not been particularly decent the rest of the year. This podcast was special for multiple references to Western New England. So many references to Loris and Dubuque, and we, we, we hit it all this week. And this was the Around the Nation podcast, podcast number 139 for the week of October 26th, 2015. Thanks for listening. Tune in for the rest of our coverage throughout the week on D3Football.com. If you like, your, if you like this podcast, share it. Tell your friends, tell your teammates, uh, tell your fellow alumni. Uh, if you're the only assistant coach in your program listening to the podcast, um, you know, don't keep it that way. We got uh, you got you got plenty of uh, plenty of assistance. Share that around. Let everybody hear. Uh, let everybody hear it, and let uh, other Division Three football fans find it by rating it in the uh, iTunes Store or in your podcast player of choice. And thanks once again for following Division Three football on D3Football.com.